The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. First Samuel, we're going to look in the 27th chapter today uh, as we continue on our series that we've tried to preach on. If I'm correct in my accounting, this is the 15th message that I preached on the lines of a man after God's own heart dealing with the life of David and how that life of David can encourage us and teach us some great lessons that are so important. You know, I'm encouraged that God, you know, I can't meet the standard of Christ. Nobody can. Uh, and he is still our standard. He should never, we should never not look to Christ as our standard. But I'm also thankful that the Bible is so real and so down to where we live that there are men in the Bible that are called the friend of God, like Abraham. And there are men in the Bible like David, one particularly David here, who is called a man after God's own heart. That encourages me that a man can be called a man after God's own heart. Even with all the faults and failings that we've seen with David and what we're going to see today. We're going to experience with David some of his failings today out of chapter 27. And we'll go back and pick up chapter 26 in the course of the message. This morning, I want us to look at David's defection. David's defection. You know the, the history up to this point, for those that have been here, a little refresher, for those that have not, you kind of get a little glimpse of it, that David is on the run. David was anointed king back in about the, uh, uh, I believe it was the 16th chapter, but uh, uh, David is on the run. He's the anointed king of Israel. God's promised him that he's going to be king, but Saul is still sitting on the throne. Saul is no longer king in the eyes of God, but as far as the actual ruling and reigning, he's still ruling and reigning. Uh, but as far as God's concerned, David is the king. But Saul, of course, is not happy about that. And Saul's been after David constantly uh, for the last several messages that we've been preaching on this subject. David has been running from God. He's uh, running from Saul, rather. He's, he's shown some of his true colors. David had a problem with lying. If you look throughout the, the history of David, David, you know, we all have besetting sins that seem to beset us worse than others. You know, I'm sure if you looked in your life, you could point out to me, and I don't want to know what they are because I'm not going to tell you mine, but, uh, but I can count four or five sins that continually come up in my life. Now, I'm out to do anything, but, you know, murder is just really not on my radar screen right now. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's probably some people that uh, could get under my skin enough that the old man would rise up and I'd want to kill him. But that, that's not really an issue for me. Bank robbery is really not an issue for me right now. Oh, but there are others that are issues for me on a daily basis. Things that beset me and keep coming back. And you can usually boil them down to four or five. Uh, two or three primary sins usually, but they're the ones that just keep coming back. David appears to have a problem with telling the truth. He's always trying to, and, and he has a real problem with trusting God. He has a real problem with just saying, you know, Lord, uh, I, I, it's in your hands. You've promised me this. Uh, you promised me I'm going to be king. I'm going to leave it up to you. And I'm not going to try to do all these, uh, uh, all of these behind the scenes machinations that are going to uh, cause uh, all kinds of problems and cause me to have to lie and continue to be deceitful. We've seen that already, that one of his deceitful uh, approaches to this thing has cost the death of all the priests and the family down there of Ahimelech. It's been something that's been a problem for him continually. And today we get to the point where David says, and I want you to look with me in, in the uh, first, uh, 27th chapter of 1 Samuel. 
In verse 1, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hands. Now, I want to say to you, child of God, and remember this, because it happens to you. I know it does because it happens to me. Your circumstances can rob you of the joy that we should have in Christ. If we get our eyes on our circumstances out here, the things around us and our vision horizontal, I promise you, your joy will dissipate quickly. It will dissipate quickly. And David's circumstances led him to this point in his life where he makes a decision to defect, in essence, from the nation of Israel that he is supposed to be king over and go down into the land of the enemy. Now, I want us to look, first of all, this morning at the root of David's defection. The root of David's defection. What was the cause of his defection? Well, first of all, I've already mentioned it, he was misled by his circumstances. You remember his devoted enemy? (laughs) His devoted, I mean, you haven't had an enemy like David had, I promise you. It's, it's, it's rare in life to find such a devoted enemy as King Saul. If you look, look back with me in the 23rd chapter and the 14th verse, it says this is after David's been you know, chased by Saul and he's going all kinds of places in the wilderness. It says David abode in the wilderness and strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph and Saul sought him every day. Saul sought him every day. And he goes on to say, but God delivered him not into his hand. But think about this. Think about this. David is under the pressure of having one of the most committed enemies that you could ever have. Saul is after him every single day. There's not a waking hour that David has where this pressure of this enemy chasing him is not on him. There's not a waking hour. There's not a, there's not a sleeping hour where, uh, where he can really get away from. You ever slept when you've got a burden on your, on your heart, something hanging over your head, and you lay down and you sleep fitfully, and you wake up, and the first, last thing on your mind when you go to bed at night is that problem. The first thing on your mind the next morning is that problem. It's a burden that he cannot get away from. Look, at, look back in chapter 26, and we're not going to spend the time to read this whole chapter. I encourage you to read it. But basically what happens here is a replay of what happened when David found Saul in the cave taking care of his business. And he had the opportunity to kill Saul there, but he didn't. He, he just cut off the hem of his garment. And he said, I'm not going to reach out and touch the Lord's anointed. I'm going to leave the, that up. You know, vengeance is not mine. Vengeance is yours, God. And I'm going to leave it in your hands. But we read here in the first uh, Verse of that chapter, the Ziphites came to Saul to give and said, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hakila, which is beyond before Jeshimon? And Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having three thousand chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hakila, uh, which is before Jeshimon, before, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. And now the rest of that story goes like this. David sends some spies down there and they find out where Saul has pitched his tent and they come in there and Saul was laying down asleep by his war leader, Abner. And, uh, and, and, and David uh, gets his, 
his, his war leaders, Ahimelech and Abishai and, uh, and Joab uh, is, is not with them, but he's, that's part of his family. He said, come on down with me to the camp. And Abishai goes with him. And when they get down there, Saul was sleeping with his spear in the ground and, and, and everybody was asleep and they were so uh, deep asleep. And, and we're told that that was of the Lord, that they were so deep asleep that they could just kind of walk through the camp and not be heard. And so now Abishai in verse eight says to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thy hand this day. Now, therefore, let me smite him. He remembered what happened before. He said, they said, David, kill him, kill him, kill him. And David said, I'm not going to touch him. So, okay, well, let's try a different tack. Okay, this time, uh, let me do it, David. Just, you don't have to sully your hands with this bad deed. You, let me do it. I'll take care of it. <laughs> He said, I, he said, let me do it. I love what he says. He said, let me smite him. I, verse eight, I pray thee with a spear, even to the earth at once. And I will not smite him the second time. He said, you let me do it, boy. I'll take care of the job. <laughs> I, I'll take care of it the first time. And then David singing the same song, the song that caused problems with his men. They didn't like it, but it was a song that was pleasing to the Lord. He said, David said to Abishai, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed, anointed and be guiltless? And furthermore, he said, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And he goes on to tell him, you just take his spear and his cruise of water. And the next thing that happens is that David confronts Saul again. He calls out his name because he's smart. He's out of the camp and away, a ways away. And he calls out to him and he said, you know, he makes fun a little bit of Abner for not protecting him. And then he said, let me show you the Lord's, the, the spear and the cruise of water. And Saul, once again, when he hears the voice of David, Saul makes this statement in verse 21. David's defending himself, saying, listen, you know, I'm not out to get you. You call me your enemy. And you're my enemy, but I am not your enemy. And then in verse 21, then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. <laughs> and he goes on in verse 25. Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things and shalt also prevail so David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Now, let me just stop right here. The next sentence is the next verse is broken by uh, a chapter marking, but we go right into it. And that's the next sentence when David said, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. What's up with this? David has just left it in the hands of the Lord. He's just showed great faith. He's just been a great, mighty man of faith. And, and, of course, David, David understands that this repentance of Saul is, is, really, is really worthless. I, I don't doubt that Saul meant it at the time. I think Saul was a man of, he, he was a child of God, a man in great conflict because he was not walking with God. You know, the Bible teaches us that a double-minded man, man is unstable in all his ways. And there, there's never been a greater double-minded man than, than King Saul. Because King Saul knew the blessings of God. He knew the grace of God. He was a child of God. And I believe we'll see that as we continue to read uh, through, as, as we continue to preach through this, this series. But, but Saul was, he would, he would repent in, in word. He would repent probably in his mind, but he never put it out of his heart. 
He never would completely turn from what he was doing and lay it down. He would say, he would be convicted by what was happening here. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know the Lord said this. I love you, David. I'm so sorry. Then he'd get home and maybe he had whisperers in his ears. We read about that in one place. But a lot of people are lying to him. Maybe he just had a change of heart because he gets to looking at his circumstances again and says, you know what, I'm not going to, uh, to let David go. It kind of sounds like Pharaoh, who wasn't a child of God, according to the word of God. You know, that tells me something important here. That tells me that I, as a child of God, can act like somebody who's not a child of God. Yeah. You know why? Because I've still got that nature inside of me. So I need to be careful not to be like Saul and not to repent in word only but to repent in heart and mind and change my mind to go. So David knew this. David knew that it wouldn't last because Saul already done it once. The last time David encountered him, Saul said, I'm going to leave you alone. And then next thing you know, here he is right back after him. And David has just shown great faith by leaving vengeance in the hand of the Lord. So what's happened here? Is David something wrong with David? And the answer is, yeah, there is. He's a child of God who still has a sin nature. Same thing's wrong with you and me. You ever experienced the situation where you have exercised great faith in a matter? You ever, you ever got up on a, on a morning and you've got a burden that's bothering you, but you know, you prayed about it, you read your word, you've been in the word of God, you just felt this, just felt a peace from God because you've been faithful. You've been, I've, I've been, listen, I'm not bragging, okay? But I think it's the same experience you've had. I have been faithful in my life. Now, I've been unfaithful too many times, and I'm sorry to say way more than I've been faithful, but I have been faithful. And I've experienced the blessing of being faithful and saying, you know, I left that in the hands of the Lord. I'm good with that. So what gives? What gives is, is that we still live in this world. And David, although on the mountain there, when he was in the mountaintop of faith, he was able to leave it in God's hands and be satisfied with that, when we come back down to the valley where we live, sometimes if we don't keep our vision vertical, we'll, we'll get our eyes back on our circumstances. And you know what David's thinking here? Same thing I'd be thinking. Boy, that was a great encounter. And in the moment, it probably, maybe he shed tears. I don't know. Saul finally, you know, admit, but then he's thinking, you know what? He did that the last time. He did it the last time. People can't really change. Well, there is some truth to that, child of God. There's always that sin nature that's within us. But let me just say this to you, by the way. People can change if you're a child of God. <laughs> if you're a child of God, you can change. But David said, he's just going to come after me again. He is my sworn enemy. And David's, he gets misled by his circumstances. <laughs> and maybe, perhaps more than any other, after this episode, I believe David realizes that Saul will never relent David will not have a day off in this war. Every morning he will get up. The constant pressure will be there of this fight. He will not have any reprieve in this until Saul is dead. You know, sometimes the constant pressures of life are overwhelming to us. Our enemy may not be Saul. It may not be a person. It may be sickness. It may be, may be a job issue. It may be, may be a family matter. It may be uh, financial. It may be uh, something else. It may be an affliction that's on us, and and the constant pressure of the. You know, I like to have a I like to have a break. 
I like to have a break. I like to, I like to stop everything and sometimes just sit down and do nothing, you know? But David says, I can't do that. And sometimes in, in life, we can't do that. And sometimes those constant pressures are overwhelming to us. And, and, and the problem that we may face is that we may do what David did and end up defecting from the kingdom of God to try to take care of our problems in the land of the enemy. He was misled by his circumstances and he was mistaken in his decision. He, he made one of the biggest mistakes of his life. Look at verse 1 and 2 again here in chapter 27. David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me anymore in, the, in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. That's a name we've heard before, isn't it? Both the king and the, and the land. That's a, that's a place we've heard of, isn't it? That's a place where David is going to a place that is populated by his greatest enemies in an effort to relieve himself of this one enemy, Saul. And I want you to notice that when he went down there, David didn't all of a sudden lose all of his responsibilities. He still had the responsibility for all these men, for their families, his own family, and these pressures were still overwhelming, but when he goes down to Gath, he thinks he's gotten rid of his problem. But I want you to notice how he got here. When he made this decision, notice what he did. The very first line of verse 1, and David said in his heart, how did David get here? How did David ever get to the point where he thought it was a good idea to leave the, the, the kingdom of God and go down to a place that was populated by his It's because he said in his heart. Notice he did not pray to God. He did not consult with the Lord. He said in his heart. And we know what the heart will do, don't we? <laughs> Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You see, he got to feeling like this is the way to go. But you know what Jesus said about that? Jesus said, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall, set you, shall make you free. He didn't say you shall feel the truth, you see. See, the truth is truth whether you feel like it or not. The Bible is right no matter how you feel about it. No matter how hard it hurts or how hard it is to do what it says to do, the Bible's always right. And the reason we need the Word of God is because we don't always feel like it. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. I've done exactly what David has done. I've tried to work out the circumstances myself instead of trusting God. There's nothing I hate more in my flesh than trusting God, I'll tell you. Because I don't like trusting somebody else. Some of you Alabama fans out there, I'm so sorry that we've got our two primary Auburn fans that are not here because I was going to be, be nice to them today. So some of you Alabama fans that are here, okay, all right. And I know all of you aren't, but some of you Alabama fans that are here, guess where we are as a team? We're counting on somebody else. 
in order to get into the playoffs. Now that's a poor, I know that's a poor uh, example compared to here, but it makes sense, right, after that big loss yesterday. We now have, isn't, that, isn't that a place you hate to be? Don't you hate to have to count on somebody else? We've got to count on somebody else to do something for us. And even when it's God, when I'm walking in my flesh, I don't like that. <laughs> That's not by nature to do that. Yeah. See, my nature is to work it out. My nature is to go down into Gath and say, if I can do that, I'll be okay. I'll relieve this pressure. Well, he should have prayed. He should have sought godly counsel. But instead, he deceived himself and he defected to the enemy. Now, what caused him to do that? Yeah, I mean, the circumstances were bad. I know that. The circumstances weren't good. They were issues. But David's been through bad circumstances before. The, the problem with David is, is that he got focused solely on his circumstances. And he fell into the same thing you and I will fall into if we focus on our circumstances, and that is a deep depression. Yeah. A deep depression. I promise you, don't. I would say try it, but I don't want you to try it. <laughs> but if you did do that next week, if you start focusing on your circumstances and the things going on around you, I promise you by the end of the week, maybe by the end of the day, yes. you'll be so depressed, you won't be hardly able to stand. Yeah. I love the fact that, uh, that we have some... some insight into what David's thinking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in his Psalms that he wrote. Look with me to Psalm chapter 10. And just, we're just going to read a few verses. The first verse of several Psalms. They end up, most of these Psalms, I think all of these Psalms actually end up with him trusting God again. But notice where his soul is in this time period. Psalm chapter 10 and verse 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? You ever ask God that? Where are you, Lord? Where are you? You know, that, you know what that is? That's a symptom of you looking around you instead of looking up because God's always there. But look at where he is. Why standest thou far? Verse, chapter 13 and verse 1. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? <laughs> He's gotten to the point where he believes God is completely hiding his face. Look at the most famous one. And, and I know we use this in chapter 22 of the Psalms. I know this is... This is a foreshadowing and a prophecy of Christ. But I want you to understand that David's condition of soul at this time is that he is still in a deep depression just that mirrors that which Christ will face on the cross. Look at this, the first line of Psalm chapter 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? David has gotten his eyes on his circumstances. And, and listen, as I said, that's Christ, certainly. That's David quoting Christ on the cross. But David's feeling it when he writes it. And you and I get there sometimes as well. I want you to notice with me next the risks of his defection. David, in this depression of soul, looking at his circumstances, misled by them, makes the wrong decision to go down into the land of the enemy. I want you to notice the risks of doing that. Instead of finding safety, David found greater danger. 1 Samuel 27 and verse 4, verse 3. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife, and it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath and he sought no more again for him. 
Now notice what happened in the short term. In the short term, David got a little bit of relief. Because Saul finally gave up and that particular danger was no longer there for David. But, but notice where David is. <laughs> He's in Gath. You remember who was from Gath? Goliath was from Gath. <laughs> David went down to Gath. It's one of the first places he went to when he was fleeing from Saul and he realized how foolish it was because he had, he had Goliath's sword and people were saying, this is the guy that killed our champion. This is the guy that killed our hometown hero. So he has to act. He starts slobbering at the mouth and, and beating his head against the gates and they finally said, this guy's crazy. Let's get him out of here instead of killing him. So that's where he's back to now. He's back at Gath. Saul has given up. But, but think about this too. <laughs> Why did Saul give up? Because he'd won. <laughs> he'd won. Yeah. You know, there's two ways to take care of somebody who's trying to overthrow you from the, from the throne. You can kill them, and that's what he'd been trying to do. Or you can just run them off into, and cause them to go over to the other camp, you know? If, if we have somebody that defects, we have somebody that's, that's a pretender to the presidency of the United States, the president can either have him killed, or if that person defects to Russia, you no longer have a problem, do you? Because nobody's going to listen to him anymore, are they? Of course, we're going to see how God even protects him in his foolish decision, which does not justify his foolish decision, by the way. Don't make foolish decisions because don't make God have to sigh and say, okay, here we go again. I'm going to say, you know, because eventually the Lord will just leave you and let you experience the consequences of your foolish actions. But notice he went down to Gath. He fled from the danger in Israel, but he went straight to the homeland of his own greatest enemy and the greatest enemy of the people of Israel, the people of God, and more importantly, the enemies of David's God. He went to the enemies of God and he settled down in comfort in the land of the enemy. You know, sometimes we're tempted to do that today and many people do it. Some people seek, rather than working through their problems and staying focused on the kingdom of God and upon God's commandments, they seek solace in alcohol, drugs. Um, they seek solace, they extramarital affairs. Uh, all the things that the world has to offer. You know, you know, most of you know that uh, Brother Buddy and I spent a great deal of time over the last few years in Las Vegas. And, uh, and we've, we've been enjoyed our fellowship with the folks out there that are focused on the kingdom of God. But you know, one of the things that those folks don't do, <laughs> they don't get sidetracked by the glitter and the glitz and the glamour of all those city lights out there. Now, I'll tell you, to my flesh, that's tempting. You got a place, you got a city where the, it's, it's up all night. There's not an hour of the night that, uh, that, that you couldn't just get up and go meet folks and talk to folks and find a crowd somewhere on the strip in Las Vegas. But the problem is, is the things that are going on down there are contrary to the Word of God. It's tempting to seek solace in the land of the enemies, and that's what David did. He settled down in comfort there. And if you notice... Instead of finding relief, he found greater turmoil. <laughs> Look at verse 5. It says, David said, down to, David said unto Achish, the king there, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? And then Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Wherefore, Ziklag pertaineth 
unto the kings of Judah unto this day, and the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. Now notice uh, where he went. He went down to Ziklag, and because he had to provide uh, for his family and his men, in verses 8 and 9 we read that he began to raid the countryside. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites, the Gezrites, the Amalekites, for those nations were, out of, were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. And David smote the land. Now listen to what he did. And left neither man nor woman alive, and took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. I'm going to stop right there and say, whenever you walk apart from God, things don't get better, they get worse. They get worse. And whenever you commit one sin, especially if you're lying, for example, you ever tell one lie, you've got to tell another one to cover that lie. And you've got to tell another one to cover that lie. Whenever you commit one sin, sin doesn't stay static. It doesn't stay neutral. It's like a fire. We've, I remember when I was in the fire department, when I was in, a teenager, and we, we, we were doing some training and burning a building down over here. And I remember uh, the teacher from Shelton Fire College said, you just remember this about a fire. It's never standing still. It's either getting bigger or you're putting it out. It's either getting bigger or smaller. You're either getting the best of it or it's getting the best of you. That's the way sin is. Sin is now, you can't just say, okay, I've got this sin in my life. I'm just going to put it over here in a compartment and, and just leave it alone. And I'm going to let it stay there. Let me tell you what it will do. It will breed like rabbits. <laughs> it will breed sin. Sin breeds sin. Sin grows. It doesn't stay there. And one sin will lead to another. And notice now what he's done. He's left neither man nor woman alive. And down in verse 10, as we continue reading, Achish said, whither have you made a road to today? Or whither have you made a road today? See, Achish now has gotten David and his men, his 600 men, he thinks he's gotten a prize. He's gotten some help. He's got some reinforcements now. And he's got uh, somebody that's going to go in and help him against the Israelites because, hey, David has defected. <laughs> They're going to hate him. He must hate them. So look what David has to do to keep from going out and killing his countrymen. Achish says, Whither have you made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah, against the south of Jeremiahites, and against the south of the Kenites. And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, Lest they should tell on us, saying, So did David, and so will, his manner, will be his manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. Notice what he's got to do now. These are places he would normally, he'd raid them. He might kill some men, but he'd leave everybody alone and he'd take their stuff and come, you know, the spoils of the, of the raid. But because of where he is, he's got to cover up his sin. He's got to kill everybody. Innocent did not matter. It does not matter. And we'll talk about that a little more in just a minute because I want to I I talk now about the result of David's defection. The result of David's defection. I want you to notice the first thing. We already kind of talked about that. He deceived himself. He deceived himself. And we've, we've already seen that he thought he was safe when actually he was in more danger than he'd ever been in his life. He was in the land of the enemy. And there's no, there's no, there's no help for you. There's no respite. There's no rest for you, child of God, when you're in the land of the enemy. There is no rest. You know, that's one of the beauties of the church of God is that we can come here and we can rest a little bit. We can have some peace. I feel peace here this morning. I feel rest. I feel good here this morning. I don't feel good out in the world. Right. But, you know, I'm not supposed to. Right. 
Don't settle down and get comfortable in the world because you, you're deceiving yourself and you're dishonoring God. God had protected David all of his life. He had delivered him from every situation that he'd come up on so far. And he had told David over and over and over again that he had anointed him king and he was going to be king and I'm going to take care of you. David, you're mine. <laughs> you remember who all repeated that too? He, he, the, the prophet of God. Samuel was the first one that told David that. Let me just say to you, you ought to listen to the prophet. <laughs> you ought to listen. I'm not, I'll use myself, but let me just say to you, you know, we've got other, other preachers in this, in this um, congregation and others around us. You ought to listen to the preacher. You ought to listen to, if he's telling you what the word of God says, you ought to listen to him. Now, if he's off something, I, you, need to be, you need to be focused enough on the word of God so you can tell when I'm not right, Okay. And I'm okay with that. You don't listen to me when I'm telling you wrong. But, but if the preacher is advising, if the prophet of God is telling you the word of God, you ought to listen. Do you know how many times I talk to people? How many times I've dealt with people through my ministry and I've said, this is what God wants you to do, okay? They go out and do right the opposite. They come back and say, preacher, what's wrong? <laughs> well, this is what God wants you to do. Okay, well, and they go out in the world again and get come and say, preacher, I'm still having problems. I'll tell you, you're going to continue to have problems till you listen to the word of God. I'm the same way. <laughs> I've got to listen to God's word. I don't always do that. But you know what always happens when I don't do that? I always have turmoil in my life. Mm -hmm. Samuel, the prophet, had told David, you're going to be king. Jonathan, you remember the last encounter that they had? He said, I know you're going to be the king. Took off his armor and gave it to him in a gesture of saying, I understand. I'm submitting to you. I know you're going to be the king. <laughs> Abigail, <laughs> Abigail, who was this faithful wife that had this foolish husband, she comes to David and says, hey, you're going to be the king. You're going to be the king. And you know what else? It's funny. You know, it's one thing when your friends say that to you. They kind of butter you up. You know, it's, oh, you're going to be good. You're going to be fine. But you know something that really means a lot often? It's when your enemy says it. Look with me back in 1 Samuel 24 and verse 20. This is Saul, David's enemy, that he's going to supplant one day on the throne. Saul says this, And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Saul, the enemy, is telling him, David, I know that's what the Lord is to even ask him to, to be um, ask him to be merciful to his children when he's on the throne. Look at chapter 26. We've just read that in verse 25. Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David, thou shalt both do great things and also shalt still prevail. Saul, his enemy, is saying to him, You're going to win. But again, David refuses to trust God in this matter. He didn't say in his heart, Oh, I know God's going to put me on the throne one day. He really believes God's bitten off more than he can chew. <laughs> he said, I shall now perish one day at the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should just go down to the land of the enemy. <laughs> you know, this is not consistent with what David believes. Yes. We, we've already talked about how David has a problem with what he believes versus how he acts. But you know what? we got the same problem. Mm -hmm we got the same problem. You know, 
if the if the circumstances, and I, I don't say this to lift anybody up, and because I know Aunt Lorraine had many hours of many probably depression over the church, but if the circumstances were what guided us, this church would not be here today. It would be so easy for her, and it would be so easy for us. Don't think she's the, the, the just the example for now. But listen, times may get lean one day. We may have problems. We have struggles in the church. We may have struggles. We don't. Now we need to guard against that. And let me say, it's not inevitable. We can try to you know stay a, away from that. But I'm telling you, the time may come when there's a famine in the house of God. Don't leave the kingdom of God and go into the land of the enemy. It dishonors God. God said, "I'm going to take care of you." You do what I tell you. Don't go into the world out there and, and start doing the things that they're doing. Just stay faithful to what God said to do. So important. You know, that's what happened in the book of Ruth. Um, yeah. Her, her father-in-law uh, and Naomi went down. There was a famine in Bethlehem. And they said, okay, we're going to go down to the land of Moab. And they ended up staying there long enough for their sons to marry Moabitish women and almost lose them to the world. Lost the sons, they died. Of course, you know the outcome of that story. God's grace brought Ruth back into the fold. But that's not the ideal situation, child of God. Don't go off into, the, into Moab to try to take care of a famine when the Lord's promised that He'll never leave us or forsake us here in His kingdom. And he destroyed his testimony, did he not? Did David not destroy his testimony before these, these folks? He, he went down into this. Look, look where he went. He went to Ziklag. He went to Ziklag. And if you go back, you don't have to turn back there, but look at the 15th chapter of Joshua sometime. You'll see that that was a city that had pertained to Judah. It was a city that was given to the tribe of Judah. It was supposed to be, it was a, supposed to be one of the cities of God. Okay? But later on, it was clearly it was captured by the Philistines, but they never really occupied it according to his, historical uh, record. And, and so they let the residents that were Jews, they let them stay there. They didn't destroy them. They continued to live there. And, and notice what happened. Those Jews lived apparently comfortably under the control of the enemy. <laughs> they, were, they were there living in, living in a territory owned by God, but controlled by the enemy. David was moving in with the compromisers. He was moving in with those that were satisfied with the world's situation and the circumstances. <laughs> it never helps us to move in with the compromisers. Right. It never helps us, child of God, to go into the place that's owned by God but controlled by the enemy. Did you know that can happen to the church? Did you know that could happen to this church right here? It's happened to many churches in the denominational world that they are, they're, they're, they're owned by God. They, at one time at least, were true churches of God and now, now they've been con completely given over to the control of the enemy. We don't need to be like that. And of course, we've already seen that he not only, not only did that, he lied to Achish about what he was doing and, and we're told that, that he killed innocents and destroyed cities just to cover up uh, from Achish what he was really doing. And it says, Achish believed David, verse 12, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. <laughs> Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. Well, un unknown to Achish, he wasn't actually raiding Israel. But think about those that lived on the borders and knew about what David was doing. He's gone over to the enemy. He's destroyed his testimony. So, 
In the time we have left, let's, let's look at some lessons, some lessons from David's life. Notice, you remember what we read in verse 7? said he was, out, he was there in the country of the Philistines a full year and four months. He dwelled down there for 16 months in the land of the enemy. And there's some long-lasting effects from a year and a half in the enemy's territories. You remember what happened to Abraham and Lot. Lot's sin and, and his sliding into sin, pitching his tent toward Sodom, didn't start on the plains there when he saw Sodom and the plain that was down there towards Sodom. Remember what he said about it? He said, man, this looks like Egypt. This looks like Egypt. He had gone down into the Nile Basin and the Nile, along the Nile River to Egypt with Abraham. And Abraham fled wrongly into that land and lied to his, that king about Sarah. He, he took Lot with him and Lot saw things he liked in Egypt. Egypt is always a type of the world in the Word of God. Let me say to you, don't take your family into Egypt. Don't take your your wife and your children into Egypt. You stay in the kingdom of God. There was a famine, but the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And Lot came back, and nothing that, nothing that Abraham brought out of Egypt ever did him any good. He brought Lot back, and Lot had the vision of Egypt, and he chose wrongly, and ultimately, you know the end of that story. He ended in a disaster, and he also brought a little Egyptian handmaid named Hagar. <laughs> and we know the end of that story too, don't we? He sinned with her, trying to help God out. And again, we have troubles even lasting to us today. And the other thing I want to say to you is this. I said David got down in depression. Now, let me just say to you, depression is not a sin. There are people that suffer from clinical depression. There are those that suffer from situational depression. Depression itself is not a sin. It's a state of mind. It's a result of sin. It's a result of the fact that uh, we're sin-cursed beings. But it's what you do with it that counts. It's what you do with it. Remember what we said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He didn't say you'll feel it. He didn't say you know, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There are things that will seem right to you, but if you know the truth, you'll know they're wrong, even if they feel right. David went wrong because in verse 1 he said in his heart, he said in his heart, this is what I'm going to do. Let me just say to you, child of God, if you're ever depressed, you ought never to listen to yourself. <laughs> Don't ever make a decision while you're in the midst of a depression. You're going to make the wrong decision every single time. And I read this somewhere. I was, you know, we, we tend to talk negatively to ourselves when we were depressed. But uh, I'll say this to you, too. And I, I read this somewhere that the second worst thing you can do besides listening to yourself when you're depressed is go talk to somebody else who's depressed. <laughs> You know, we always like to seek, you know, I, I love, you know, the old hee song, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Those poor guys never got out of depression that I know of. It didn't help them one bit, you know. They're sitting there uh, drinking away their sorrows and whining and complaining to each other. You know, that's all we'll do when we're all down in the dumps and depressed. So what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what you do. Don't fill your mind with negative stuff. Turn me over to Philippians right quick, and we'll just grab this first chapter 4 and verse 8. When you're down and out, you know, I've been there before, and there's certain movies I want to watch. You know, you ever, you ever been in the, in the situation where you want to cry? You know, you just want to cry. You know, you just want to watch some sad movie. You just want to watch something sad or read something sad or see something sad because you just feel so bad, you know. And I just gonna watch it. I put in a one of them soppy love stories, you know, that uh, that makes you, you know, just, oh, you end up crying and you feel worse at the end of it than you did at the beginning. Yeah. That's not what you need to do when you're depressed, child of God. 
Chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. In other words, don't keep filling your mind up with negative stuff. Fill it up with the good things. Think about, you know, think about whatever, you know, has been good in your life and, and spiritually uplifting in your life. Listen to a sermon. Get some music and listen to some good psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. Think on, read the Word of God. Fill your mind up with those things that are lovely and pure and of good report. Don't listen to yourself when you're down and out and depressed. Chapter 28, I believe it is. No, 29, chapter 30, I'm sorry. Chapter 30 of 1 Samuel. You remember David went wrong by saying in his heart that he was going to do this. But, but I want you to notice in chapter 30 that a terrible event occurred while he was down in Ziklag. We won't read the whole thing, but Basically, David and his men went out, and they, uh, they were out raiding. And they came back to Ziklag, and the Amalekites had invaded it, and they had burned it down, and they had taken the women captives and the children. They, they didn't kill anybody, but they carried all them away, and they're spoiled. And I'm going to tell you, the people, the people turned. That means verse 4, David and the, men, the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. This is worse situation. It shows you also the problems that David was getting into. See, things got to be worse and worse on him while he was in the land of the enemy. His two wives were taken captive. They had, they had gotten so, they, they wept till they couldn't weep anymore. And notice in verse 6, David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. See, the people turned against him. Those people that he'd been leading, they turned against him. And, uh, and, but at this time, if ever David was uh, ready, to, should, should have been ready to cut and run, his mindset should have been, I'll cut and run now because it's not working out, it would have been now. But notice what David did that was different than what he did when he went down there in the first place. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. See, that's the alternative. That's the difference. What do you do when you're facing circumstances that are out of your control and oppressive and you have an enemy that's constantly after you? Rather than saying in your heart, I'm going to do this, you need to encourage yourself in the Lord. And that's what David did here. And the, the, the rest of that story is that he went down and he and his men and they, they brought back every one of the wives and the children and all the spoil they they, they recovered it all. David was at a worse point here than he was when he left to go to Philistia the first time. But he encouraged himself in the Lord. So let's, let's look at that just for a minute. How do we encourage ourselves in the Lord? Well, the first thing we need to do is resort to prayer. Resort to prayer. Mm -hmm. You say, preacher, there are times I've gotten to where I couldn't pray. What I do when I can't pray, I've said it many times in this pulpit, you pray anyway. Yeah. You pray anyway. You can talk, can't you? 
You can open, you can get off in a corner somewhere. You can go into a closet somewhere and you can say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. Lord, I can't pray. Lord, I need your help in praying. And you know what the Bible tells us? That the Holy Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Because Paul himself recognized that we don't know how to pray as we ought. So pray, resort to prayer. And then remember the promises. Remember the promise that God has given us that he will never leave us or forsake us. You know, Samuel said it, Jonathan said it, Abigail said it, but more than that, God said it. (laughs) I don't care if nobody ever says it. God said it. That's why we believe and cling to that precious promise of Ephesians chapter 1 that we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We are special in His eyes. Not because there's anything special in us, but because He set His mark upon us. And because we're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And because He sent His Son to die for us. And because He said, where I am one day, you will be also. I will come back to get you. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And He's not up there remodeling heaven. He he went by way of the cross to prepare a place for us. He said, uh, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. And I will come again and get you to take you home to be with me. Well, that's a great promise, isn't it? <laughs> We're going through great, terrible circumstances. We're going through horrible situations with our elections and with our government. We're having all kinds of turmoil and struggles in this life, but the Lord may just fold it up like a scroll this afternoon. <laughs> We, we may have lost loved ones. We may be struggling with death or dying or sickness or problems, but the Lord may close it down before I get through. <laughs> Praise God, He's coming to get us one day and He's not going to leave us while He's gone to heaven. He's here with us. And I want you to realize something else. You need to remember this. Get your vision off the horizontal and get it vertical and understand that God is never overtaken by any circumstance. And we don't believe He caused all the circumstances out there. That's a result of sin primarily. But I'll tell you what He's done. He's never... in In the greatest statement I believe we've ever heard of the nature of God, when God, in the person of those three people that were talking to Abraham, He said... Is anything too hard for God? There's a lot of stuff out there that's too hard for me. There's a lot of things I'm facing right now, and I know it's the same with you. They're too hard for you. Too hard for you and me. But nothing is too hard for God. Oh, the depth of the riches of the Lord Himself, the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's something that will sustain us through every circumstance in this life. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.